Wow, it's been a whole week, Lawrence. Um, yeah. Uh, it's been a hell of a week, I'll tell you that. Tell me all about it. <laughs> I know. Hello, this is Lawrence Lewis. And this is Sister Christian. Today is Thursday, June 18th, 2020. This is the Producers Happy Hour, a weekly podcast with two producers on opposite coasts, learning what it means to be a good producer as we figure out what it is going to take to get the film industry back to work safely. We find ourselves being asked to take on greater responsibilities from a variety of guidelines created by multiple sources, the state, the unions, the AICP. (laughs) It's confusing. And now more than ever, it's important for us to keep sharing our experiences and ideas to protect each other. So email us or better yet, record a one to two minute voice memo and send it to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Just follow the instructions on our website, producershappyhour.com. And please share this show with friends, colleagues, family, your neighbors. We want these stories to be heard. Yes. So share it, rate it, <laughs> share it, rate it, and um, rate it. do all, like the, us, do all the algorithmic things. Yes. <laughs> like us. Christian, today we have an interview with Matt Ferris, who is a veteran agency producer who's done a ton of national work and has been in the business for almost 20 years now. And uh, I think we both have worked with him, actually. Yeah, his name was so familiar. So I looked at my archives, and it turns out that we've done a few long time ago, before 2010, a few Publix jobs together because he was at 22 Squared. Yes, so we're going to have that interview a little bit later, but we have a lot to talk about, Christian. It's been a whole week. I've missed you. I've missed you, too. I know we've chatted and stuff, but I don't think we've spoken since last Thursday. No. We haven't. Well, we have to save it for the show. <laughs> yes, a lot. A lot has happened. <sighs> Shit. I know. But how are you, Lawrence? You got away for the weekend, maybe? Took a little break? Yeah, we actually went to Palm Springs just mm-hmm. for a night, a day and a half, I guess, to meet some friends that were out there and have some lovely outdoor, socialized, nice. distanced dinners. <laughs> and that was really refreshing. It was really good to see some old friends mm-hmm. and be able to be at a restaurant and have things made for you and brought to oh, your table. I know. By I a mean, stranger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Milo's yard opened across the street, oh, my bar. my uh, really? No, well, they opened with a screen door to be able to serve to-go drinks and food. Cocktails to-go. This know, is my the, favorite. This is my favorite thing <laughs> that's, <I> that's <laughs> happening. <laughs> I know, but people start to congregate on the sidewalk. So, you know, every once in a while, the, you know, move along folks has yeah. to happen. But it's been nice to be able to... Somebody else make my drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, I'm feeling uh, it's an interesting time right now. I mean, if you're following any of the Facebook posts or any of the co-pros things, I mean, as we start back to work, uh, there's a few states that have been working, you know, for a couple weeks now. But as things start opening up and now, you know, L.A. has been around for, what, a week now. So I've heard of a couple of shoots planned for next week, big ones. So mm-hmm. with only a week prep, <laughs> mm-hmm. here we go, folks. Who is handling the COVID issues that relate to set is still not nailed down? Exactly. And we actually got an email from a listener about this. We'll tackle that in just a minute. Yeah. Just seeing the stories and one, a big one was posted last night. And I just, uh, I know we've been talking about it for months now. It feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was part of the warnings (laughs) coming out and we're here we are. And I, 
I fear we're about to see that the work is solely the responsibility of the production department. Exactly what we've all been saying we did not want to have happen. Yep. Yes. So, I know. It is happening. I've heard from a friend that they were doing some bidding on a big brand project, and they were being asked by the agency to make their case, prove to them that it's safe to shoot. <laughs> and so it was a week of them having to put together their own plan of safety Creative and ducks. really great, yeah, right, ducks, about how they had to do the convincing. They had to convince the agency. So just in order to get the job? Yes, in order to get the job. And this is a, a small content shop. This is a one-woman operation, mm -hmm. you know. So that took so a lot of work. It took a ton of work, and it was a week of back and forth, and it was just like, and then there was all this concern about the second wave, right? Right. So there's all this news about spikes and peaks and, and this kind oh, of yeah. thing, and so then all that work was kind of put on hold again. So it's uh, oh, so it's a little challenging out there. More work to actually land the job, and once the job is landed, they back mm -hmm. off. So, oh man, I hope she was yeah. compensated. I'm know. not going to ask. <laughs> yeah, don't ask. I don't oh. think so. <laughs> Boy. Okay, so Christian, I am in a Facebook group called "I Need an Editor" or "I Need Editors." Okay, right. And there was a little scuff up in that group that was written up on a website blog called Insider.com. There is a headline, high profile white film editors try to shut down a search for black <laughs> creators in a private Facebook group. So I saw this all unfold. It's written up in this article in Insider. And I've seen this happen before. I actually saw it happen in just my neighborhood group, the Los Feliz Silver Lake Echo Park group, where really? somebody, a black woman asked hey, I don't have any black friends in this neighborhood, and I would love to have some. Mm -hmm. Can I set up a social group for my black brothers and sisters mm -hmm. here in Silver Lake? And, of course, someone chimed in and said, how would this be okay if I asked to set up a whites-only group? Because and, there is. <laughs> there yeah, that's called life. <laughs> exactly. That's called life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, these kind of conversations are blowing up and getting a lot of people riled up. Mm -hmm. and, and talking out. And talking out and getting kicked out of certain groups. And, yeah, as black men are being hung in front of civic buildings uh, across the country on a daily basis or weekly I, basis. I just, I don't know why that's not being, like, somebody's not screaming from the rooftops, that information, because a lot of people don't know. And it is, I, I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. I mean, yeah. I know that uh, there's a few Supreme Court rulings that came through mm -hmm. in, the, in the last today being DACA. Yep. And last week being protections for LGBTQ. Yeah. Gay, exactly. bi, and trans people yeah. from getting fired from work. Yes. Six to three. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, that was monumental. So, I mean, defunding the police, which means, you know. Mm -hmm. Look it up, guys. I'm not saying. Look it up. We're not going to get into the, it. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it. Just yeah. Google it and you'll know. But, I mean, the calls for that and the restructuring that's going on, and I know it's the, just the beginning. So to see this kind of stuff in a Facebook group is just. It's it's wild. I yeah. mean, I've seen stuff like this over the years. Then it gets shouted down. Like if you request a woman in a particular uh -huh. position, <laughs> mm -hmm. you get the old, like, well, if I would be 
castrated if I posted <laughs> I need a man for a job. And it was like, because when you say I I need <laughs> this for a job, it's assumed that you need a is, man. Yeah, <laughs> the default uh-huh. is white male. Were there any women that were complaining about that post? Um, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what I wanted to promote today in response to that happening and that article uh-huh. is two websites, blackinfilm.com. Yes. They have a black filmmaker database. Just look it up, blackinfilm.com. It's there. And if we have any listeners that want to be in that database, you can sign up and you can get yourself in that database. And I think we should all have it because... Part of our privilege is being, as we said on last week's episode, being the gatekeepers to a lot of jobs. Yeah, pass it around. Pass it around. Open yourselves up to offering jobs to people who aren't in front of your face. Right? Yes. The other website I wanted to promote because, uh, you know, the voiceover community is very near and dear to my heart. (laughs) There is a website Voice of Lawrence. Voiceoflawrence.com. You're giving it away for free on this one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A-A-V-A-D-B. That's the African-American Voice Actor Database. So it's a whole database of African-American or black voice actors, voiceover actors. Because I think we've spoken about this privately before, but just like in, you know, we went through a wave of making sure that the person who plays the part on television is the ethnic background, is the same ethnic background as the character. Uh I wonder if there's going to be a push for that in voiceover. But I love this database. I love it. I love it. I love it. I already passed it along to a friend of mine, Black in Film, who I know was researching. So thank you. It's already in use. <laughs> Great. We'll put them both in the show notes. But again, blackinfilm.com and aavadb.com. So Christian, we made a commitment to watch a lecture by the author of the book, White Fragility. Dr. Robin D'Angelo, and she gives lectures, of course, and um, has the book. And so we watched the lecture about the book, which was great because it gave commentary to the words. It did, yeah, and a little more explanation the meaning of just behind. kind of mm-hmm. the meaning behind it. And it actually helped me after the fact. I had an encounter with a person who was insistent that all lives matter. right. It's familiar, especially in the last three weeks. It's been coming up a few times. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm a terrible debater, so I was kind of frozen. I didn't know what to do or what to say or how to act. I just yeah, had to leave the situation. Be, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, confrontation wasn't the issue. Debate skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't have them. Mm-hmm. I think three days later, oh, I should have said that. <laughs> she did something called a universalism, where in defense of the status quo, you toggle between individualism, which is mm-hmm. like, I've worked really hard in my life. And it's not my problem if they don't work as hard as I did. I know, right? and you just want to, oh. <laughs> uh-huh. That's individualism, but then it quickly shifts to universalism, where it's mm-hmm. like, I don't see color. I don't speak for any one group. We all are important. All lives matter, blah, 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 blah. If we want to hear from the black community, they only speak for the black community. Right. I'm looking at mm-hmm. all of humanity. And if we want to hear from them, we'll ask them. Otherwise, we've got it. And I'm going to speak for the entire globe. This woman, her tirade went on to be was universalism. Yeah. And that was frustrating. But now being able to see it and put a name on it, I understand it more. And hopefully I can learn how to in real time respond to it. 
I really related to her story about part of the unity group where she, it was her and two black women and then Angela, quote unquote, whomever she was, entered the group and Robin had made a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then went through the process of understanding and then went back to apologize and her apology. So I really, I mean, the way she apologized was eye-opening. Yeah. It wasn't just a surface apology. Mm-mm. And then she asked for in the future to be corrected publicly. I was like, yes. The woman asked her. Yes. The, well, the, the woman the, she offended. She asked the woman, yeah. is there anything I missed? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yes. Yep. When you do this again, and it was when, not if, do you want me to correct you privately or publicly? And Robin said publicly. Yeah. And I feel like that is just golden because me being corrected in my private space mm-hmm, does mm-hmm. not hold me accountable all, every time. Yes. So, Christian, we have a couple listener emails and a voice memo. Oh, my God. You guys I are know. listening. Thank you so much. All right. Who we got? Okay. So, Arthur Lung, this is what I was referring to earlier. He's an avid listener of the show. He loves the community is provided during these turbulent times. He was working on Queer Eye in Austin when everyone was forced to shut down because of COVID. Right. What he sent to us, and this, as I mentioned earlier, was a job posting on staffmeup.com that was asking for a PA at the rate of $180 for a 12-hour day for 12 weeks to be the designated PA position on set that would assist with the new COVID-19 protocols in Dallas, Texas. <sighs> so this person's responsibilities <laughs> would be checking in with every crew member upon arrival to work and confirm they are not showing any symptoms from the CDC list. That's a PA doing this, the lowest paid person on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Going to be screening everybody for their symptoms. They're going to monitor all the cast and crew throughout the day. Make sure the crew are wearing their masks. So... Little PA Tommy or Becky is going to go around the set to enforce mask usage. Right. Frequently <laughs> wipe down touch points at filming locations and production office <sighs> with approved sanitizing supplies. Keeping track of sanitation supply stock and alerting production coordinator if running low as to restock. This is exactly what we've been talking about. That should not happen. It should not be the lowest paid person, the minimum wage person. A putting themselves at more risk by handling all the cleaning and interacting with all the crew members. B, trusting the crew's health and safety to the lowest paid person on set. It's baffling to me. It's baffling to me too because that person does not have a medical degree. I mean, I know I've seen all these safety courses pop up or like get COVID safety certified. Like what the the F does that mean? Oh, those are bullshit. Don't, no one give money to those companies. Oh, yeah. None of that means anything. None of that means anything. Does not mean anything. It's a scam, A. And B, it's meant to replace years of medical science. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, thanks for sending that because that was, you know, (sighs) again, our our dreams are coming true right now. Our nightmares are coming true. We would like to implore (laughs) other producers, other production staff out there, please don't make it the PA's job. To do this stuff, we got to find out something, else, another system. Exactly. Just not. I don't know what it is, but ex- it's got to be something else. Yep. So we have another email from Ben Gill. Mm-hmm. 
So Ben says, hi, Lawrence and sister. You all mentioned on Friday's show that you wanted to hear experiences of being on set. And I did two days of production in mid-May near Tampa. Mm-hmm. I am the owner of an Orlando-based production company and have been preparing our COVID guidelines for our productions. However, I was hired on a, this job as the DP under the pretense that they would religiously follow guidelines. All right. Mm-hmm. Got the promise. The All good. <laughs> set up. This was a hotel shoot, so it had been closed because of COVID. All right. They told me it was a small crew, and due to COVID situation, I was fine bringing just my gaffer and hustling my ass off. There'd also be a first AD producer. Mm-hmm. Once I arrived on set, I realized the director and agency brought four people to help out on set, none of which could help. It's one thing that if you have a smaller crew and know the situation, but to have so many useless hands on set when you and the other person are doing everything, it can be pretty frustrating. I get that part. Yeah. Yeah. I got you, Ben. Luckily, we had the first day to mainly pre-light the different areas of the hotel. And at first, everyone was following the guidelines, wearing masks, social distancing, not touching any of my stuff. I know where this is going already. <laughs> but as the day stuff. went on, the director client and his crew started to get way more lax, forgetting to wear their masks, getting close to one another. I'm pretty sure the whole first morning, everyone wore their masks. They decided they were going to eat lunch without their masks on, obviously, in our set, of course, that we were using tomorrow. Hmm. Mm. Keep in mind that we have access to every single room and area of the entire empty hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. Overall, without being in charge of production yourself or having a separate enforcer making sure everyone is following the guidelines, people slide back to the precautions without even noticing. I completely agree with this. I mean, meeting somebody for a socially distanced drink, you think Mm -hmm. that you're fine after about an hour. So it's, I get it. Uh huh. It's especially difficult when the director agency client are the ones not wearing the masks. The gaffer and I could only speak up so many times. We just kept our distance and masked the whole time. Anytime I would slide my mask down outside, I swear people would just gravitate towards you like... (laughs) You're like a magnet. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, that was May 13th. So luckily it appears that no one got COVID off the set that I know of. It definitely was a huge learning experience, but I think masks and a COVID supervisor would be huge steps to making set safe any production size. Mm Mm-hmm. He also thanks us for doing the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. So, yes, again, this is just nailing home the fact that, you know, we're kind of at a loss here of saying that we need it. Everyone's recommending it. The state's recommending it. The (laughs) unions are recommending it. The DGA is recommending it. Lots of recommendations. Nobody has yet to make it it out. Yeah, because they're not mandates. Yeah. It's not a mandate. If the state could just say, you have to do this, then you know what? People would make it happen. Exactly. I know. So. All right. We got one more, but this one's a voice memo from Jess Weiss. Let's listen. Hi, my name is Jess Weiss, and I'm a creative producer and line producer. I usually work in narrative feature films as well as commercials, and I sometimes do events, corporate films, theater, musical theater, and immersive as well. I was lucky enough to wrap up a project on March 3rd before the pandemic and and global emergency status hit, so I didn't have to deal with stopping a production 
But ever since then, I have been stuck in my apartment and haven't had any income come in because all my jobs have been canceled. I have been volunteering with this group called FEEL, which stands for Film and Entertainment Emergency Logistics, in which we employ unemployed filmmakers to help with the front lines and making PPE. I have also been working on two quarantine-related documentaries, one focused on essential workers in New York City, and another one focused on quarantine life internationally in different countries and continents. It's been interesting to talk to people all over the world as we are truly all in this together. What I hope for the future and my advice is that we as a film industry can look at what has happened and do better and hopefully get better hygiene methods on set, but also less hours and, and less work hours. I think that we as an international nation to some extent need to rethink what led us here and pay more attention to social and climate issues. Thank you. Sing it, sister. I def I want all that and hand washing stations right next to camera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, exactly. Thank you. And so into systemic racism. Um, <laughs> Both just wash, all wash it right off. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, Jess, for the voicemail. Yes, thank you, Christian. We're going to get to the interview, but we have two pages on our website. One is called "Do the Work." Yes, it's called Do the Work, where we have some anti-racism resources. The page is for you to educate yourself on issues of racism that have long plagued our society and our industry, as well as a link to actionable things that you could do to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Lawrence and I are choosing something off of our materials list to do together each week, and we talk about it. Yeah, and you can do the same. Yes. Watch along with us. So this week, Chris and I are going to watch 13th, the Ava DuVernay documentary. We'll put a link in the show notes if you guys want to watch it as well. Educate yourself on the prison system and policing and how that all came to be in our society. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So yeah, easy peasy. Gotcha. We also had the Take Action page on our website, which we do need to update a little bit, Christian. But there are still people out there who are desperately in need still need to donate blood, still need to save the post office. Still... The post office, guys, that's really <laughs> important right now. <laughs> we saw what happened in Georgia with that uh -huh. mess of an election. Mm -hmm. We really need to figure out mail-in ballots this year. Otherwise, we're going to be in turmoil yeah. for a while, guys. So. And feed the freelancers if you can afford to help other freelancers out in this time of need, or if you need help yourself, that is there for you as well. Yes, so please feed the freelancers. Yes. Donate your laptop. This is important. It's all there on ProducersHappyHour.com. All right. Matt Ferris is a veteran producer of national work for brands including Walmart and McDonald's. Matt joined 22 Squared from Bernstein Ryan in 2007. He went on to restructure the broadcast, interactive, and print production departments to create the agency's first integrated production department. Tasked to rebuild the production department at Havas Worldwide Chicago in 2012, Matt led production for integrated campaigns for clients such as Michelob Ultra, Cracker Barrel, and Reynolds, while also running the international production company Made. Busy guy. 
Seriously. He then moved to Austin to build Sanders Wingo's first staff production department and along the way created the agency's first international production arm. More recently, he joined GSD&M as an executive producer working with clients such as Southwest Airlines, Hamptons, and Universal Parks and Resorts. Let's take a listen. Hello, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today. We want to start off by asking you, how are you doing? How's your family? How's it going? Where, where are you at in the country? I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, nice. My favorite town besides New York City. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And we are pretty much full on summer here. It's in the oh yeah mid it's in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just feels like summer with the exception of my whole family's tripping on each other all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's, everyone's safe. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's yep. fine. Everybody's doing doing really well. Yeah, actually, yesterday is my daughter's birthday, so uh, it was a whole day of it of uh, festivities, and we went out and paddleboarding and do a lot wow. of tennis. It's a lot. We're like just. Mm-hmm. I think the whole family is going to be in the best shape of their lives after the summer because we just try <laughs> to stay outside. We're playing tennis a lot. We're the pool's open, so we're trying to do a little bit of that if if you do it safely. And so nice. And so what have you been doing during this coronavirus downtime? I mean, I know a lot has happened. It's been a long span. You're freelance right now, right? Is that correct? I am freelance. And I've been mostly focusing on my own self-growth uh, from a lot of different things. Because, you know, I am freelancing. I was staffed before this happened, you know, like we just said, before. And then... Before. And the agency that I was working at, we actually was working on uh, one of the large theme parks. And you can imagine when, when all the theme parks went down and didn't, you know, losing billions of dollars a day, that had a drastic effect mm-hmm. on all of us working on those accounts. So yes. then I became freelance again. So the first thing I was doing was just trying to get back on those freelance lists, make my old contacts, I try to stay in touch with those people. And then since then, besides just doing a lot of networking and conference and phone callings and things like this, but just tons of zooms, <laughs> stay, you know, stay close to my friends and my people and, and stay, you know, yeah. speed on everything. You know, I'm doing a lot of the the same conferences you guys are seeing as far as watching what's coming mm-hmm. back and technically how it's going to work. Like I said, spending a lot of time on my own development, which is either, you know, trying to brush up on premiere editing or my own photography right. or just trying to take some opportunities to have some time to actually learn for myself. That's great. That's great. That's a, that's a good way to to be spending this time, this weird limbo time that we're in. So... June 12th has been the date, which is tomorrow here <laughs> tomorrow. for Los Angeles. Cal- for actually, for all of California, for film production to come back. I know this interview is going to air next week, but just wanted to kind of get your take on, have you had any conversations about what that looks like in terms of client expectations or how to mm-hmm. navigate clients through this new era of commercial filmmaking? Lots of conversations. I haven't seen anything really put into place, especially for the 12th date. Up to this point, most of the stuff I've been seeing was the either uh, user-generated content, stock footage, or I have talked to a few directors who have been directing remotely. Like they're in their, I have a director friend who just was just saying, this is the best thing ever. I can sit on my couch and direct all day. And, and then just, I can <laughs> it's make It's really bre- great for them, for sure. He's like, this is great. I just make bread and direct all day. And <laughs> yeah, this is fantastic. So he's been loving it. So I've just been seeing, you know, trying to keep up on the connectivity issues right. and how it's going to work. I think a lot of it's going to be, as it starts to happen, is, is literally that continuing education and conversation with the client. 
to set those expectations. And I think there's not going to be a norm. There's not going to be a normal. Every production is going to be different, which it, we all know this. It always is always different. There's never a normal production. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as anyone thinks right. they know how this production is going to go, it's going to turn a left corner, a left turn the first three days into production, and you're going to be doing something completely yeah. different. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's not different. But I think setting those expectations early, early that it's not going to be normal, at least from the client standpoint, that's the most important right. thing to me. And then keeping that conversation going and keeping it constant so they never feel like they don't know what's going on. But that's not new. It's just, a, I think we have to work a little bit harder at it than we always have. I mean, the new aspect is compromising some aspect of it is going to affect people's health and safety. Yep. So that's kind of the, the new, at least from my point well, of view. Well, I think you mentioned compromise, but I think it's a really good word because now, you know, for a long time, with what I would say called normal shoots, mm. we didn't we didn't have to. It was better if we did, but we didn't really have to engage production companies and directors as early as obviously they would like. Right. Right. Yeah. Because we know what a couple of exteriors at a coffee shop in a office space, we can write that and get it in pretty good shape, even through board. Right. And then we engage a production company and director. And then it's really hard for them to make changes because we've already kind of sold it up the hill. Yeah. 27 things. What this means now is either we get directors involved much, much earlier so they can be a part of the board and the process and help sell, or our clients need to understand that, we can do all this and it's all just a best guess until we right. engage our production company because we not, may not be able to pull off that shot and we can't get that many extras and you just don't know. So then it's either you do it earlier or later, but either way, there's going to be more collaboration than, than there was, which I think is a good thing. I do too. I think that how I've been positioning the discussions has, this is 80% of this is going to happen. The other 20% is going to be something else, something better, something like it just is. And then um, the amount of time and approvals, the approvals need to happen sooner because last minute changes are no longer <laughs> a thing. <laughs> we have less ability to accommodate. The, exactly. Yeah. The and so last night phone call. Exactly. And it kind of feels like going back to the days when, you know, I don't even want to, you know, some of the Pitka or like, you know, Tony Kay or Marcus Nispel, like those days where changes didn't happen. Like you just <laughs> kind of whatever it was happened. Yep. And um, not that severe, but I think that the in the beginning, it needs to be discussed that like nothing's a promise anymore because the information's so fluid. Yeah. Well, fluid. Uh, yeah. I think fluid is a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Fluid with strong intent. Yeah. Like, yeah. sure, we're going to try like we always do. Yeah. But in the end, you know, if we can't do it, we're going to have three viable options for you. Yeah, I think if you establish, especially from the production company to the agency relationship, if that kind of contract, that kind of uh, mm, even unwritten, trust. but if that trust mm-hmm. is there early on, they and they mm-hmm. feel it and they feel like, okay, we have faith. That's going to be a big part of it because typically, mm-hmm. you know, before you could pretty much make decisions on, you have your board, you have your chemistry check and you have your budget. And those are things right. enough to make a decision. Now I think agencies are really going to need to know and feel mm-hmm. good. That chemistry check now became a really important phone call. That first conversation about the treatment or even before that becomes, are they going to do everything they can to give us what we want or even better? Not, and then right. so we can, if we feel that, then it's easy for us to translate that to the client and then sell right. that for, you know, our confidence is contagious. We've discussed too, like agency and client probably won't be traveling to set 
And so one of my concerns behind that is if it's a new relationship and a creative has a question about a, a shot that's happening, the director will go back, they'll get together and they'll talk about it and it'll get worked mm -hmm. out because there's eye to eye, you know, you're in person. Mm -hmm. Now having that, the trust I think is extremely valuable because the process and the individual shots are happening without you being on set. So, yeah, I really hope that it's going back to that as well. <laughs> well, on Just one hand, trust. Yeah, obviously, no one's traveling anytime soon, especially those of us who aren't actually operating something. Right. And, and the downside is the lack of real, super, super real time communication of you can get, you know, looking at my face or even like touching an elbow or an elbow on somebody and kind of just doing this, right. which you right. can do yeah, on the yeah. set. Like, I think texting is now <laughs> going to become specialty. really important, much more than it <laughs> oh. even was because uh, we were already yeah. texting. I'm, I'm sure you guys were. The group text on the, on the shooting is, is now. Oh. Was already becoming real time information, even between the totally. camera and the video village. Mm -hmm. Texting was happening, mm -hmm. so that becomes yeah. more important. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, part of me is thinking, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have seen it. Video villages have just become out of hand. Yeah, oh, last yeah. few years. <laughs> so, as much as I'm yeah. so disappointed that I won't be on a set anytime soon, or our creatives won't be, you know, although mm -hmm. eventually we will. Hopefully, some of this is a little bit of a reset that we don't need 27 people in. We definitely don't need, and mm -hmm. this happened to me, but we don't need video villages that outnumber our crew. Yep. Yeah. And that money can be repurposed into PPE. The, I yep. know that there's a concern in our community about, you know, the budgets were shrinking anyway. How are we going to find the money to be safe? Well, if people aren't traveling, that's more, you know, it, it just makes sense to reposition the money into what is required to do the job. I mean, travel budgets, I've had usually six-figure travel budgets the last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For, oh, I mean, wow. yeah. Just for the agency. Oh. Not even our client, not mean. anybody else. So, Matt, one thing I wanted to chat with you on the show about is I saw you post a few times on LinkedIn offering to take phone calls with some newer producers or newer people in the industry to offer your help, knowledge, education. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think one of the posts I started with the conversation of, I like freelancing, but, and that's been my love and hate relationship with freelancing over the past, most of my career has been staff. And mm. when I have freelanced, I've loved it because of the kind of a little bit arm's length away from the agency politics and some of the drama that goes along with it. But you're also arm's length away from some of the things that really became important to me for my own personal growth, which was the mentoring and coaching of anyone, but especially producers, because, you know, I've had a lot of great mentors and I've had some amazing champions, but I've seen it in the industry, especially on the agency side. Training is awful. It's very mm -hmm. much, it always has been a sink or swim situation. And, and there's no, it doesn't have to be that way. No. So training, and that's not even a great word for it, but, you know, treating it, treating production as a craft, like we would any other a pr apprenticeship mm -hmm. situation. Thank you. I'm um, advocating for this. Has always been a big deal for me. And, and when I had my own departments, I've kind of built it in. And my own vision for a department was more like a teaching hospital. Like, a, if you, you know, imagine mm -hmm. Grey's Anatomy where all the, all the young doctors would go around and see all the patients. And there would be, mm -hmm. and so that mm -hmm. everyone shares information in real time. Uh, and then just also creating an atmosphere where we don't ever work together with other producers. Rarely do we get to partner. Sometimes we'll get a junior one yeah. or whatever, but our, our senior, you get some partnership going on. But typically we work by ourselves. And then there's, mm -hmm. you know, a dozen creatives and another dozen account people on the set. So, so there's one producer and it's trying to keep everyone happy. But how does a young producer get all the 
knowledge from not being on the set, not being with their well. Exactly. You create the culture of learning, the culture of not only am I learning, but if you're a senior or even a mid-level, it's not only nice, but it's part of your job to then push that information mm-hmm. down and educate and coach. So it's kind of trying to build it into the, what we do, what the whole goal. So then I found myself without a department again. So that's fast forward mm-hmm. to your question. Right. I found myself mm-hmm. sitting around kind of feeling sorry for myself. Like, okay, freelance is great. And you know, there's a lot of things I like about it, but I just, I still, I found myself missing this. And it was totally selfish. I found myself missing having mm-hmm. the ability to pass on these things that I've learned and it felt like a waste. And I was like, and it just dawned on me. I don't have to have a department. I've got the whole internet. Yeah. I just have <laughs> to write a note that goes, Hey, and, and someone just has to be brave enough that to be, to reach out, to be reach out. And that it, it requires bravery because you're, by reaching out, you're saying, I don't know something, but I'll argue that only good producers are, are brave enough to actually pick up the phone. They're not afraid to acknowledge they don't know something. Yeah, exactly. I think I had the same conversation. I was invited back to my college to speak, and I, it was like the only people that are going to succeed are the people that are going to be asking the questions and, and want to meet or want to see if, you know, even if I could hire you as a PA, you know, just like taking that leap of making the initiative to take some action. And I think the same thing's similar for us. Even, you know, you do have this kind of route of office PA to production coordinator, mm-hmm. production manager to producer, but there still is this big divide between production manager and producer because the production manager isn't in the rooms with, with right. the ad agency mm-hmm. and the clients. They aren't in those conversations. Mm-hmm. So they it's really kind of a mystery. And so there really isn't a learning process. You kind of dive in and, you know, you sink or swim, like you said. So I think it's really noble of you to put that out there into the world and make that offer. And it's a lot of what we started this show originally for was yeah. to before Sorry. again before because <laughs> we started because, yeah, yeah it's, it's we started recording we started recording December of last year and we were going to put it out this year at the end of February and look what happened and the goal was to explore like mm-hmm. talking to people like you what does it mean to be a good producer to help educate the newer people in the industry and mm-hmm. things shifted our focus shifted sure, <laughs> so I'm sure. glad to be able to get you on and, and chat more about it but those things um, still matter I mean, you can put aside. They oh. still matter, even yeah. more than ever. Yeah. And if I may, I also feel strongly that the moment I get in touch with the agency producer, you can begin to feel their experience level or, you know, I, I always call them my producing partners because if we're not partners, then the job isn't going to happen in a smooth way that we both want. Oh. And if they have less experience, I will absolutely work even harder to drop a few additional items into of why I'm asking for something so that it it becomes a teaching, not in a condescending way, <laughs> just more no. in a growth kind of way so that it helps the two of us work better. I think it's important. We should be learning. Well, I think it's amazing that you look for that. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> like I imagine the trick would be, how do you do it in a non-condescending yeah, yeah, way? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, um, it's... That's personality-based, in my opinion, too. Yeah. It's, yeah. Or well, Some or people just don't want help. Yeah. Defensive. Yeah. Exactly. They get a little defensive, and yeah, then you back you, off you a little bit. You can read that early on yeah. in these conversations. So, Matt, have you mm-hmm. had any takers? Has anyone reached out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and who? Yes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Here's the, yeah. I'll, I'll post the list after this. And there's, <laughs> it's been a wider group oh, than good. I expected. Wow. In fact, later today, I'm on a phone call, a producer that was trying to break out of digital production into a more integrated role and mm-hmm. was getting some traction on that and was ready to change her title, but then got laid off 
And so now she's just not sure how to market herself because she wants to do more, more video centric content work. But you know, for the last nine years, she's been a digital producer. So she's just, so we're going to, we're going to talk about that. I talked to a young, a younger, not a young, but a composer who just wanted some opinions mm-hmm. on how best to basically crack the agency code mm-hmm. of how to get noticed more and how to get, how to get traction in those meetings. I had a, a young production company reach out from Minneapolis. We just, and that just turned into just a great zoom conversation where we were just talking and, but kind of the same thing. He just wanted to know how we, how we make decisions and a little insight into the agency process. So it's almost like pulling the cover off how we make decisions and help some of these people just understand how things work and what they can do to better collaborate or just have better mm. one opportunity to collaborate. And then just kind of odds and ends people, but it's been a wider strap. I was really hoping more of the, of the actual agency yeah. producers would reach out. And I've had a handful. One young man has been doing long form documentary work for just longer form stuff. And he wants to break into commercial advertising. Why? I don't know. My first advice is no, don't do that. Keep doing what you're doing. This is awesome. Yeah. Don't come over yeah. here. This is, we just, we just beat <laughs> each other up all day. Money. Uh, exactly. Yeah, but true. Maybe. But he's had multiple HR departments tell him that those skills don't translate. Wow. And so he just wrote me a note like, what do you think? I was like, well, that's horseshit. That's total horseshit. Absolutely, they translate. That's horseshit. Do you think like a producer? You can produce Absolutely. anything. Can you, can you tell a story? Yeah. yeah. So it's been really fun, and I mean, love it. Does your offer still stand if any of our listeners want to? Absolutely. It never <laughs> wasn't there. I just didn't realize I had you to, have to make, make it, it exactly. public. <laughs> I know. Get it out of your head. Yeah, so I, I've been... <laughs> I do, I'm trying to make myself, remind myself weekly to just put it back out there, just to keep it fresh and remind people to phone call. Well, people have time now, too. We're all honing our skills in that way. I'm definitely doing those types of calls with non-union crew members across the country explaining, trying to bridge the gap between what crew thinks production does versus what we really do, because there is a bit of a... <laughs> of a breakdown there as well. So I also wanted to ask you about a call for change, which is the letter from the Black Professionals in Advertising Demand Urgent Action from Agency Leadership. It's a Google Doc, and I read through it, and there's just, you know, of course, it's it's absolutely so important. Some of the things to me, because I am white, I did not realize weren't already happening. Just wanted to see if you had any chance to read it. Well, I'm certainly familiar with the need. I I spent mm-hmm. several years at a multicultural agency mm-hmm. as an executive producer, where we were actually doing African American work for a large uh, telecom, okay. and it was a brand new experience for me. Although it didn't seem as new as you might think it would be. One being, when I was thinking about the job, I've had people ask me, "Well, you know, that's just multicultural. That's all you're doing." And my first thought was, "I'm never the target for my ads anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I care? Like, right. I just want to do good work, and it looks like these are good people and." So I didn't even mm. give that a second thought. And then once I started, it was really refreshing because it wasn't like I was the one mm-hmm. white person in a wholly black agency. The discovery to me was it was black owned. The, the CEO was an African-American mm-hmm. female and it was obviously smaller and independent, mm-hmm. which is all the things that I was mm-hmm. looking for at the time, having come from a multinational right. when I was in Chicago. So this is how I got to Austin. But when I got there, the best part about it was I didn't realize that I'd spent the last 15 years in advertising and how just how yeah. white it was. Yes. Like it, it dawned on you, it dawned on you a few times when you're actually out with other friends and just like, you kind of look around and go, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. okay. And then you go to the office and you're like, oh wow, it's yeah. all these white people. And then it obviously, you know, um, and it's been getting better. But then when I go to this, when I go, went to work at the multicultural agency, it wasn't like I was the one white guy. It was just an amazing mix of reality of we had right. just a really perfect, perfect, not a perfect balance, but just a really normal balance of 
of uh, of society. Uh, <laughs> yeah, African American mm-hmm. people, uh, Hispanic people, white people, but we had you know women in leadership, which it seems weird to say we're still having this. Guy. It's still something mm-hmm. they had to talk about. Mm-hmm. We are still we're still talking about it. <laughs> so it wasn't a transition. It's more as you, it's almost like walking into a, a room full of fresh air. Like oh. This is just feels normal. It felt like what I was doing before wasn't normal all, all of a sudden. Mm. That was been my experience so far. But having done all that work and work with the talent we were able to, to look at and, and try to put in the stories we were trying to put in front of the screen, you know, I'm so happy I did it. I'm going to carry that. Yes. This moment for me isn't a moment uh, necessarily of awakening into the need, but I'm very thankful that the conversation's happening and, and people are feeling the, the need to actually force themselves to yeah. think about how they mm-hmm. feel and, and, mm-hmm. and kind of reevaluate. So I'm looking at, at those as, as positives and, and just trying to do what I have been doing as far as push my experience out. And also, you know, it's always a good time to be reflective of your own conception. So, I, you know, it Absolutely. is a note, even though I consider myself the right. woke white guy, it's always mm-hmm. time to reflect and go, you know, how do I feel about certain things? What can I do? Sometimes I do feel weird because I, you're not sure what to say. Cause I feel like, Oh, I have something to say because I was at the right. African-American agency. Right. And, you know, there's a little bit of fear where if you just put anything out there, you're just going to get mm-hmm. trolled and dragged. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do mm-hmm. I have credibility? So I've been sometimes a little hesitant to actually be completely honest with that, which I'm ashamed. I'm a little bit ashamed of. I should be more less fearful on what, what the moment Vocal is. And, and yeah, fearful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's right. what we're doing on this podcast Ooh. as well. You know, Chris and I are being vulnerable in our, and we're going through this journey ourselves and educating ourselves as much as possible and looking at our own implicit biases that we may not have really realized. We're looking to be corrected and we're going to make mistakes even on the show, but this is what it looks like. It's a messy process to kind of right the wrongs. So, you know. Well, growth is messy. Exactly. It always is. Yeah. And if it's not messy, then it's not growth. Yeah. It feels exactly. good. Yes. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for joining us and chatting with us today. Before you go, I just want to ask you, you know, so much has happened in these past three months or however long it's been. And it feels like, you know, it's the new normal. We're kind of rewriting the rule book about how a lot of things happen from racial injustices to wiping everything down 10 times a day. What would you like to see <laughs> if there's anything? What would you like to see change or something we could do better as an industry coming out of this as we're starting to go back to work? Well, I think it's obvious from the earlier part of the conversation that I'd, I'd like to see, without being specific about, I want to see this, this, mm-hmm. and this, but I think education and collaboration, mm-hmm. for once, those aren't optional. For most of the time uh, that I've been working with, you know, we could get by with having one or two people in the room that, that they were talking about, and then kind of just letting those people who didn't know squeak by, kind of just pretending they know or just not know. And then the collaboration part of, well, now you have to, it, everyone has to do it. Everybody's got to be rowing the boat now. So I think it's going to force us to create a better system of collaboration. I think also the technology is going to, we're going to finally create some tools that actually work. I think selfishly, we've known we can stream the, the picture from the camera from a long time. We didn't want to because someone's going to ask, well, then do you need to be there? But we, we selfishly, at least from the agency standpoint, kind of kept that to ourselves where we didn't advertise for it. That and it's also the real-time screen sharing and posts and some other things. There's technology that should exist that just hasn't because we didn't really have to make it work. So I think the technology is going to come around and actually give us some real-time tools that work better and give us better options moving forward. So I think collaboration, education, technology are all three of the things to increase that even if technically we get the vaccine and everything goes back to better, we're going to have better tools to work with and tell our stories in a more efficient manner. 
and hopefully these things all in service of telling that story, not in spite of it. Yeah, absolutely. Always in support of the story. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Right along the same lines as, you know, I'm very passionate about educating production people because it is an on-the-job learning experience, and we've all learned from so many different sources. It may or may not be the correct way. Absolutely. And to what he was saying, that there, there really isn't a way to learn from your supervisor because as a producer, there is no underling really to a producer, right? Even a production manager, they're mostly in the motorhome. They're not in those meetings with the agency and the client, Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to navigate those waters. They're very unique and very, very different. I remember my first pre-pro meeting as a producer. I was like, whoa. Me too, yeah. So I do bring bring my PMs into pre-pro meetings occasionally. Yeah, just because. That's good. Yeah, it is then good. What it also to proves that. to them that totally. I don't have all the answers immediately, and this is why. <laughs> this <laughs> is why. Hey, everything can be a learning tool, right? Yeah, yes. Lawrence, this show is co-produced by Rob Bloomkey. Artwork and logo design by Christopher Daniels. And our music was composed by Kyle Puccia. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're still figuring things out, but uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe, stay connected, and stay active. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, clean your phone, and I know we're all starting to get back out there, but it is so important to wear a mask. You may not think that it helps, it helps. It does help. It's helping prevent the second wave. Send us your emails or your voice recordings to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Lawrence, how can people get a hold of you? There are two ways. LawrenceTLewis.com or VoiceOfLawrence.com for my voiceover work. Christian, how about you? SisterChristianProduces.com Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.